Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. We're starting a brand new series today called Kingdom Economics, and uh, this is going to be a series that we're going to look at several of the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God, and when he did it, he often spoke about the kingdom in terms of parables. And there's a simple reason why he did this, because it's really hard to describe something that there are no real parallels to, uh, no exact replicas of in this life. So Jesus did the best he could with the limited vocabulary that we have and tried to describe for us what the kingdom of God was like, but nothing really captured it. And so he told these stories, these parables, that captured principles of the kingdom that we can learn from today. I'm sure some of you have had this experience Experience. You've gone somewhere, you've seen something, you try to explain it to somebody and like, there are just no words. Like you just can't come up with examples. You, you, you can't really come up with any analogies. So you just do the best you can. This is exactly what Jesus was doing when he was trying to describe the kingdom of God uh, to his followers. And so we're going to look at, uh, at Luke chapter 16. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 16. We'll be there in just a minute. And for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the kingdom in terms of economics. Now, when you think about economics, your brain goes immediately to money and you're like, oh, everybody's grabbing their wallet right now. Oh, he's going to ask us for money. I- I'm not going to ask you for money today. I'm not. But one of the things that is important for us to understand is that economics is bigger than just money. The study of economics is concerned with production. It's concerned with consumption, and it's concerned with a transfer of wealth. So when you think about the economy, you think about our national economy or the global economy, it has everything to do with, with how things are produced, how, many, how much things are consumed, and how wealth is transferred back and forth. And I've just got you know, a new news flash for you. Everything you own is someday going to be owned by somebody else. Okay, every all of your wealth is someday going to be transferred to somebody else because you chose to give it to them because they took it or because you're dead. One of those three reasons. Everything that we have, all our possessions belong to, but ultimately belong to God. He entrusts them to us. And then we ultimately spend the rest of our life trying to learn how do we live in God's economy? How does God's economy work? And it operates so differently from our economy that Jesus used a parable that quite honestly, a lot of people don't understand. Some people try to avoid it. They try to explain it away. But Jesus basically said that his followers could learn a lesson from the world's best con man. That, that we really could take a lesson from a con man in learning what it means to live according to kingdom economics. Now, just so that you know, the, the idea of con man first came into English, the English language or the English vernacular in 1849 when the New York Herald wrote an article, and I think we got a picture of that, and this, uh, this article was titled The Confidence Man. And The Confidence Man uh, is, uh, was a person who had been arrested in New York City because he had perpetrated all of these crimes on unsuspecting people and he stole their money. But he was so good at it. He was so confident in everything that he said that people just believed him. The law believed him. Everybody believed this guy, so they kept trusting him with their money, and ultimately, he stole the money, and the New York, uh, the New York paper 
called him the confidence man. We took that idea of the confidence man, and we have now made that the con man. That's where that word comes from. And there have been many famous con men in history. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the name Charles Ponzi. Have you ever heard of a Ponzi scheme? Charles Ponzi lived in the 1920s. He embezzled over, and this is in the 1920s, remember. He embezzled over $10 million before he was finally arrested. And his name will live in infamy as, uh, as, as his name will, has become known as the Ponzi scheme. But there was somebody even better than uh, Ponzi or than that guy, the confidence man in 19, 1849, Will, William Thompson. There was a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff. If, you, if you've been around or you followed the news, this guy, listen to this. This guy uh, managed to steal over 18 billion with the B dollars. 18 billion dollars is how much he stole before he was finally caught. So the question is, what could people like us possibly learn from people like that? And why would Jesus hold up a con man as an example for us? So if you have a Bible, look with me at Luke chapter 16, beginning verse one. Let's take a look at this passage and see what Jesus is trying to teach us about kingdom economics. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said to them, there was a rich man who had a manager. Now, you know you're rich if you have a manager for your money, right? I mean, that's just like you pay somebody to take care of your money. That is a pretty good sign that you're doing pretty well. So this rich man paid somebody to take care of his money and and charges were brought against him that this man was wasting his possessions. Notice, so whatever's going on, this guy is just living large on probably his boss's money. He's wasting a lot of money. This guy doesn't think he's doing a very good job managing his money. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the accounts of your management for you can no longer be my manager. So this guy's getting fired. Hey, you're not doing a good job managing my money. You know, get all the books together, bring them to me because you're not going to have a job anymore. Now the manager immediately had a problem, right? He is about to lose his job. He is about to be unemployed. He knows that his time is short. So what happens? Uh, Verse three, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. In other words, I really don't know what else I'm good for, right? I I don't, have you ever had that moment where you thought, if I can't do the job I make money at, I'm not sure what else there is. Like, I've had that thought a lot of times. I thought, if I, if I can't stand up and talk in front of people, I'm not sure that I could do anything else to make money. This guy had the same problem. He's like, I don't, I can't, I'm not strong enough to go dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their home. So this guy's got a plan. He is developing a plan. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So he cut it, the bill in half. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So here's this guy's solution, okay? The manager's solution is this. Use the limited time I have left and the very few resources at my disposal and leverage them to be able to make as many friends as possible so that when I don't have a job, they all owe me something, right? This is his plan. Like, let me just cut all these bills. This guy now owes me 50. That guy now owes me 20. This guy over here owes me something. And so when I'm out of a job, I can just go from person to person. And hey, remember that time I cut that bill in half for you? This guy's pretty smart. He is leveraging 
all that he has in his possession with a very limited time he has left, he's leveraging it for the future. Now, a lot of people have trouble with this parable because they're like, wait a minute, why is Jesus upholding this crook as an example for his followers? And there have been some people who've tried to explain it away. One, one thing, one, one idea that, that some people just reject is that this guy legitimately was a criminal who was ripping off his boss and Jesus is legitimately holding him up as an example. That's one. But people who aren't comfortable with that, a couple other solutions have been proposed. One is that they thought that maybe this guy is reducing the bills by his, by, by his compensation. In other words, his commission on all these loans and all these things that he's managing, he's lowering the bill by his commission so these people will be in debt to him. Another idea, and this one actually intrigues me, and I, I, I'm more likely to believe this one than I am the last one. This one is that because it was illegal for Jews to lend money at interest, like you could lend money, but you couldn't charge interest. Because it was illegal to do that, and this guy's boss was doing that, this guy decided, ha ha, I know what I'll do. I'll cut in on his illegal business. He can't call me out on it because then he'd be indicting himself for doing something illegal. So this guy basically outconned the con man, his boss. That's another idea. But listen, here's the thing, here's the thing. I really believe that Jesus intended for us to look at this story and to see this guy for what he was, which was a crook. He was a con man. He had a plan. He took the little bit of time that he had, the few resources that he had left, the, and he leveraged them for his future. Look what happened in verse eight. The master commended the dishonest manager. Can you imagine? I mean, this guy's like, wow. I, that's pretty good. I did not see that coming. You are way better at this than I thought you were, and I'm really glad I just fired you. He commended him for his shrewdness, for the sons of man, and this is Jesus speaking, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So what's the outcome? The master commends him, and Jesus basically holds this guy up and says that this is an example of how the world is better at this than his people. Why? Why is the world better at this? At some principles of kingdom economics than his people? Because the people of this world take the little bit of money they have, the little bit of time they have, and they think ahead. They plan ahead. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, you can take and learn a lesson from the con man. This guy realized that what he would soon need more than wealth that was available to him, more than the little bit of time, he would need influence and he would need relationships that wealth could secure for him now to benefit him in the future. So I want to look at three, three economic, kingdom economic principles that we can learn from the con man. All right. So I want to share these three ideas that we can learn. And remember, this this doesn't have just to do with this idea of, hey, put some money in the offering plate. Drop some money in the basket as you leave. Get online and get money. If, 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 if that's what you're hearing this through, I just want to assure you, just set that aside. Don't give any money, okay? I'm not asking you to do that. I want you to think about this in terms of your possessions, not in terms of what I might potentially give to the church or what the church might be asking from me. I think that's how often when we talk about money or when we read Jesus talking about money, we, we hear it through that filter. And when we do that, we miss the lesson. We miss the message. So I don't want you to hear it with any, any fear that I'm going to ask you for money because I'm not going to ask you for money. I just want you to hear this in terms of the kingdom economics versus our world's economics and the difference between the two. 
So let me share three kingdom principles of economics. First, your possessions are tools. Your possessions, everything you own, is a tool. Your house, your car, your hobbies, everything that you have, the money in your bank account, the money in your 401k, everything you have is a tool. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, notice he doesn't say if it fails. He says when it fails, because it will. It will. There's always an economic downturn on the horizon. There's always a company goes out of business and you lose a job. There's always the reality that at some point, the wealth of this world is going to fail. So he says, when it fails, they may receive, in, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. In other words, the money that you have, all the possessions that you have, they're not necessarily righteous. In fact, they're pretty amoral. The Bible does not say that love, that money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. I know you may have heard that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is a root of all evil. Money itself is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's how you use it. It's what you do with it. And what this parable is trying to teach us is that everything that you have is a tool. The question is, how are you going to use that tool? What are you going to do with it? How are you using it in this life? And how will it benefit you in the next? See, we convert wealth into eternal rewards by how we choose to invest those tools, how we choose to use those tools today. The money I have invested in the gospel, the money I've invested in God's kingdom, the money that I have invested in things that go beyond me are things that can never be taken away no matter what the stock market does. They're things that can never be taken away no matter if I lose my job. They're things that can never be taken away. How are you leveraging tools for things that can't be lost? And isn't it true that at some point we lose it all? At some point we lose every bit of it. How do we leverage and use the tools for things that can't be taken away? How can I use my earthly wealth for some higher good? How can I use my house? How can I use my car? How can I use my hobbies? How can I use my time? You know, there was a point in American history when this lesson was, um, was, was very evident uh, to, to most Americans. Um, you know, after the Great Depression and going into World War II, everybody began to think of their possessions differently. And they began to see their possessions as tools for a higher cause. Uh, during World War II, the time, this, this was a period of time where every American sacrificed and leveraged everything they had for a bigger purpose. James Bradley, in the book Flags of Our Fathers, says this, The entire nation seemed overnight to have snapped out of its Depression-era lethargy. Everyone scrambled to be of help. Rubber was needed for the war effort, and gasoline and metal. A woman's basketball game at Northwestern University was stopped so that the referee and the 10 players could scour the floor for a lost bobby pin. Americans pitched in to support strict rationing programs, and their boys turned out as volunteers in various collection drives. Soon, butter and milk were restricted along with canned goods and meat. Shoes became scarce and paper and silk. People grew victory gardens and drove the gas-saving victory speed of 35 miles per hour. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without became a popular slogan, Americans sacrificed. Why were Americans willing to live like this? Because they understood that everything they had, all their possessions, were tools. And they understood that they needed to leverage those tools for something greater than themselves. 
Here's my question. Shouldn't we, citizens of God's kingdom, see everything we have the same way? Shouldn't this be the attitude of people who follow Jesus? That we, that we look at everything we have as a tool and we say, how can we leverage this for the most good? But see, instead, so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus are content to live moral lives. We live by what John Piper called the avoidance ethic. We avoid sin and provide for our families and believe that that is what it means to follow Jesus. But listen to me, that is a life that is spent. That's not a life that's invested. A life that's invested looks a whole lot more like America during World War II where kingdom people leverage what we have for the purpose of God's kingdom. Your, to, your possessions, everything you own, is a tool. But the second principle is this. Your possessions are a test. Your possessions are a test. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 10 through 12. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? See, this parable suggests that life is like an audition for eternity. That everything you have has been given to you for a period of time, and God is watching to see how do we use what he's entrusted to us. It's a test. It's a test of where our heart is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what people really value, If you want to know what people really believe, look at their bank account and look at their calendar. Because how you spend your time and how you spend your money, you may not like what it says. I'm just telling you that is the most objective measure of what is really important to somebody, how they spend their time and how they spend their money. See, all of us, even the richest person in the room has been given just a little bit for a short period of time. And the little bit that we possess, the little bit that's entrusted to us, is not ours. We have just been made managers of it for a very short period of time. So so if you've been in church much and you've you've heard people talk about giving, you've heard about the tithe and the idea of the 10%, that is biblical. That's in there. Here's my problem with the tithe, is that God does not own 10% of what you have. God owns everything that you have. God has entrusted everything to you. And the question is, how much will you give back to him? See, we don't really give God anything. Even that statement is is a little inaccurate. We don't give God anything. If God has given us everything, there's nothing we can give back to him. It would be like when my kids were young and Father's Day was coming or my birthday was coming and they wanted to buy me a present and they would ask me for money to buy a present for me. Right? Right? I gave them the money, they bought me a present, and they gave me what they wanted me to have. This is like God with your resources, that God's given you your house, he's given you your car, he's given you the money, and you come in and whatever you choose to give back to God, God treasures and cherishes that as a loving father would treasure and cherish whatever his sons and daughters would give to him. But you do know that what you just gave back to him was always his. It was always his to begin with. So this test determines whether we can be trusted with more. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. Will we leverage what we have for something bigger, something that goes beyond just our possessions? We demonstrate our faithfulness in the test by how effectively we manage and invest what we have been given for the sake of other people. How are we using the resources that God has entrusted to us to benefit those who are around us? 
Do you realize that your test, your test will determine what eternity will be like? It doesn't determine whether or not you go to heaven, but it does determine what heaven will be like when you get there. For how much you invest in the kingdom of God that is to come, in the kingdom that is coming, the more invested you are there, the less invested we are here. And if all of this is true, then to refuse to sacrifice now is to choose to sacrifice later. Your possessions are a test. But your possessions are also a trademark. You know what a trademark is, right? A a trademark is an indication, some sort of mark on a product that shows who made, who owns, or who manufactured that product. You, You can see a trademark on things, and your money, your possessions, are a trademark on you. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 13 and 14. No servant can serve two masters. Pretty basic idea. Remember, what, what, was, what was Jesus giving this parable about? He was talking about a manager who worked for a boss. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Make your choice, Jesus says, because you can't serve both. You cannot serve God and money. And listen to the Pharisees. Remember the, these, these religious people that are always following Jesus around. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, Remember what Jesus said? You can't serve God and money. And he said, they love money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. Why did they ridicule him? Because they didn't like the message. They didn't like what he was saying. The religious people didn't like what he was saying because they had amassed so much wealth. Their possessions were all about themselves. We're going to talk more about that next week. But, but the idea here that they were investing in their kingdoms on this earth, not in God's kingdom. The ultimate issue here is lordship. Who has your heart? Who do you belong to? Your attitude about your possessions is the ultimate test of your loyalty. If you're loyal to God, you will use your possessions for his kingdom. If you're loyal to your possessions, you will pursue personal gain as you seek to build your own kingdom. And you cannot love God and possessions. They are mutually exclusive. Ultimately, you will be forced to say yes to one at the expense of the other. Always. This is why the Bible says the love of money is a root of all evil. Not that money is a root of all evil, but to love money, to, 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 to let money have your heart is to actually serve money. And here's the thing. doesn't matter how much you have or how much longer you think you've got to live. It's only a limited amount of possession and it's only a very limited amount of time. What will you do with it? And this is where I think Jesus is calling all of his followers to live by this kingdom principle, that we use our limited time and our passing opportunity to impact the future. That we use our limited time, however long you've got left, however many days, however many weeks, however many months, years, decades you've got left, how do you use your limited time and your passing opportunity to impact the future? See, like the dishonest manager, we try to leverage our resources and adjust our living standards for what we want. You've done this. You've adjusted your standard of living so that you can get what you want. You wanted a new car, so you cut back on eating out, right? You you wanted to go on vacation, so you saved a little more money. You have adjusted your standard of living to get what you want a lot. We've all done that, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it works in this economy. We budget to save. We budget to spend. But here's what I find so interesting. We don't budget to give. We don't think that way. 
This is why what Jesus said sounds so incredibly radical and why the religious leaders ridiculed him for it. Because Jesus understood that you only have a little bit of time and a little bit of money, and the question is, what are you going to do with them? And let let me just tell you something. Some of you may be in the process of figuring this out. Consuming everything is not fulfilling. The more you consume, the less satisfied you will be. The more you have, the more you will want. You will never consume your way to happiness. And some of you have tried. But what you have consumed your way to is you've consumed your way into a callous and a cold heart. You've consumed your way into debt. You've consumed your way into bankruptcy. You've consumed your way into divorce. You've consumed your way into dissatisfaction. You've consumed your way into insecurity, always wondering if you're keeping up with the Joneses. You've consumed your way into greed, but you have never consumed your way into happiness. And what Jesus is saying is if you begin to look at this, not from our world's economic standpoint, but you begin to look at it from the kingdom economics, that you can see something different. That it's not by consuming that we find happiness and satisfaction. It's by leveraging and the tools that God has given us It's by understanding that these things have been given to us for a purpose, for a higher purpose that goes well beyond what we experience in this life. I have never met anyone, and I've said this before, and I'm still waiting for the day that I meet this person, but I have never met anyone who gave their way into financial insolvency. Never. I've never met anybody who gave their way into financial insolvency. But people consume and spend their way into insolvency all the time. And so this is what Jesus is offering us. It's a better way to live, not just someday in the future, but he's actually saying, if you trust me in this, you will will find that life here and now will be better as well. So when things get bad, when you lose the job, when the economy turns down, when you've lost your 401k, see, our, our instincts in those moments are to hold on to things tighter and tighter and tighter. But Jesus has called us as his people to be open-handed to hold those things loosely, to let go. Because that's exactly what he did for you and what he did for me when he died for us on the cross. That he held nothing back. He leveraged everything, all the wealth of heaven. He leveraged for us and gave it all. And what he is saying is, with the time and energy and talent and treasure that God has given you, why would you not take and learn a lesson from the con man and realize that everything you have is a tool, it's a test. And ultimately, everything that you have is a trademark of who you belong to. I want that trademark on me to be the mark of the cross. I want it to be pointing to something that goes beyond just the, amount, the limited amount of money, or the limited amount of time I have. I want it to point to something that goes beyond eternity. I want it to point to Jesus. And I hope that's what you want. I'm going to ask you to pray, and as you do, I'm just going to ask you to pray silently. And I want to guide you through this time of prayer and just invite God to speak to you in this time of prayer. So first, I just want us to come before God and ask God in this moment, the Holy Spirit in this moment, to reveal to you all that he has blessed you with and for you to ask him, how could you use your blessings as a tool for his kingdom?
And if your possessions are a test, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit right now to invite him to show you your grade. How are you doing on the test of the possessions he's given to you? Finally, I want you to ask yourself if an unbiased third party were to look at your bank statement and they were to look at your calendar, what trademark would they see on your life? God, we come to teachings like this, stories like this, and um, Lord, we're we're dumbfound. We're dumbfound at the idea that, Lord, this con man actually captures the idea of the kingdom maybe better than we do. And God, I know today as I think about the truth of this message that we're, I really to believe how limited my possessions are and how limited my time is, I would live differently. And so God, maybe part of what we're asking today is that you would teach us to number our days, that we would live with a heart of wisdom. Lord, we've tried to consume our way to happiness, consume our way to joy, consume our way to peace. And all we have found is that we want more and more and more, that we become greedier, more self-centered. And God, you have given us, you've given us the antidote to that in Jesus, the ultimate demonstration of your generosity and that God, to follow him, to be like him, Lord, we have to hold loosely to these things that you've entrusted to us. And Father, be invested in things of your kingdom. And God, I don't know what that means for everybody in the room. It means a lot of different things. It means that there are people who are helping family members and helping neighbors. It means there are people who have ministries and causes that they care deeply about and are investing their lives in and their, their wealth in. It means people who have invested in this church down through the years and, and who are investing in it now and people who are investing their houses by opening up to people from the Ukraine who are living in their houses and people who are helping pay bills for those who can't work for various reasons. God, every single one of those is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and maybe a more effective picture than anything I could ever say. So Lord, help us as your church to, to show the generosity of Jesus in all that we do. Lord, free us from the desire to possess and consume. Help us to hold everything loosely and to trust that God, whatever you ask us to give away is never lost. God, help us to trust you, to trust you enough to give and know that there is no way that we can ever give more than Christ has given for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.